This podcast is about unsolved mysteries. Yes, the old TV show hosted by what we previously believed to be a reanimated corpse that we now think is actually just a ghost. Whenever possible, the hosts have used swear words to convey how they feel about some of the fucked up shit that was featured on this show. We will not apologize for that. What you're about to see is not a news broadcast, because this isn't TV. Tonight, on the Our Strange Skies podcast. A Minneapolis music mogul is abducted by aliens in his front yard. He has since gone on to form a successful podcast with his co-host Ryan Crapperat, where they explore the complexities of alien life. A bombshell report suggests that the alien abduction may have been a hoax. The phenomenon known as rods has baffled countless video experts over the last decade. Some experts claim they can easily be dismissed as explainable video anomalies. But one Quebec native believes he knows the truth behind the mysterious phenomenon. And a struggling magician inherits a family estate that includes a pair of unassuming bunk beds. Once introduced, an onslaught of paranormal activity is released into the home. Tonight, we need your help to find the missing magician who's seemingly vanished into thin air. Someone, somewhere, knows the truth. Perhaps it's you. Welcome, everyone, to another special edition of the Our Strange Science Podcast, where this month we're paying homage to Unsolved Mysteries, and I've got some special guests with me today to talk about what Unsolved Mysteries has meant to us, and, and, and you know, to, to go over the good, the bad, the ugly. Uh, my first guest... Brian Hasty from the Double Density Podcast. Brian, how you doing, man? I'm surviving. Let's go with that. <laughs> surviving. Great. Fantastic. Uh, my other guest is none other than Spencer Worth Davis, a.k.a. Big Cats, the creator of my theme song from the What If Podcast. What's up, dude? What's going on, man? Thanks for having me. Yeah. No, thanks for coming on. Uh, you know, I put out the call. I was like... I want to dish about Unsolved Mysteries, and you both answered the call, so I appreciate that. Hell yeah, dude. Definitely. So, uh, we'll start with Brian here first. Brian, what is your earliest memory of Unsolved Mysteries, and how old were you when you started to watch it? So, I actually called my mom about this, because my earliest <laughs> memories were of like watching the show with my mom, so... We figured out it was about around 1992, so that would make me six or seven. And for some reason, I remember it being in the fall. I think I had long, like long sleeves on. And so my parents would leave the TV running uh, during the evening, and the, the theme song hits, right? And for some reason, I just I remember Robert Stack just reading off the stories of that night's episode, and I couldn't look away. And so, you know, my mom sits down on the couch. I sit down on the couch. And then, like, it became, like, a, this, like, weird weekly ritual almost. I'd return for more every week. And I'd happily sit next to her uh, in doing so. And then I realized, uh, as a six-year-old, uh, kind of uh, being uh, shown uh, death, destruction, uh, wanted people, murder, uh, mysteries, ghosts, etc. I think this may have warped me um, more than I sort of realized at the outset. 
that that's fantastic that's a fantastic answer because i definitely think to the younger generation that grew up with unsolved mysteries it warps your your mind it it, it has to one because of the theme song and two because of robert stack itself but uh spencer what's your what's your earliest memory of unsolved mysteries uh somewhat similar honestly it was probably mid 90s i was uh nine maybe ten and it became the show one of the like three shows that my dad and i would watch together and it's weird because i like i grew up in a a fairly christian like somewhat socially conservative house where like a lot of media was not allowed in our house like the simpsons was kind of pushing it Mm -hmm. and for some reason, Unsolved Mysteries was fine, even though like every episode is about murder and rape and like all of the horrible things that happen in our world. And it's presented in like a super spooky way. But for whatever reason, it was that uh, Star Trek The Next Generation and Quantum Leap were like the three shows that my dad and I would, would religiously watch together every week. That, that, is, that is so great. Uh, I love it. So... The first distinct memory I've ever had of Unsolved Mysteries is being at my cousin's house. My mom is babysitting us, and we're just, like, freaking out over Unsolved Mysteries. Like, we l- we'll look at the screen, and then when something scary happens, we just run away and, and you know, cry <laughs> like little children. Then we come back, and we can't stop watching it. No, of course not. But I also have this memory of, and I believe it was a Kentucky Fried Chicken commercial because it used the the song Hit the Road Jack. But I started watching it when I was, I want to say like eight or nine, somewhere around there, like you guys. And uh, I it was in, I want to say 89, 90 is when uh, I started. This was around the time when... You also had Rescue 911 with William Shatner, the show that um, liked to, yeah, the show that liked to make it, (laughs) yeah, it's a classic. (laughs) It's the show that liked to, the show that made it seem like people were falling off of cliffs left and right. (laughs) I mean, can we be sure that they're not? I, you know, we can't, we can't, but like. (laughs) They seem to be, you know, they seem to feature those stories a lot. Somebody get David Politis on it. Get to the oh, bottom God. of it. Oh, God. Somebody get cop <laughs> face in the room. We got to find out. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we, we have that core, that fundamental upbringing. We've been raised by unsolved mysteries. So, like, what, was, what were some of the things that initially stood out to your young adolescent minds? I think for me, the big thing was like, I understood even at a young age that the reenactments, uh, especially like um, the ones where they actually use the people involved in the cases were really, really badly done. Um, but I remember like Robert Stack's sincerity in the wraparound segments kind of like gave it authenticity. So like while the story was like super shitty, like Robert Stack was there to give you like a pat on the back, be like, no, no, it's, it's real. Don't worry about it. Yeah, the reassuring, he's the reassuring dad of the show. How about you, Spencer? What, what really stood out? You know, when well, you were young and, and first seeing this show. Real quick, can we talk about the reenactments? Because I don't think yeah. they were that bad, honestly. Like, well, com- so I, compared to I a lot of the stuff on the similar style of shows now, it's certainly not any worse. 
I feel like there are two tiers, right? So, like, the times they hired actors, not so bad. But the times they decided to, like, use the real people to sort of go through their trauma again, I feel yeah. like is, like, an, another tier of, like, awfulness. Yeah. And you get a lot of that in, like, the early years. They really yeah. pushed that heavy because they just didn't have the budget to hire actors to do this. And, I mean, you actually have some early name big ac- the big actors down the line that were on this show, like Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> And the great thing is, is, like, you can tell when the acting is bad because there's more voiceovers. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Very good point. Uh, but, uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I think I think what stuck out to me the most was probably the music. Like, it's so perfect mm-hmm. in every way. Like, not necessarily perfectly good. But, like, it's so perfect for that show and for that era in, like, it's very 80s. It's a little bit cheesy, but at the same time, it creates this amazing, spooky, mysterious atmosphere that's, like, just the right amount of camp at the same time. Interesting fact. The composer was Michael Boyd, and it was performed by Gary Remal Malkin. And... Interestingly enough, these guys won back-to-back ASCAP Film and Television Awards for this song. <laughs> Hell yeah, they did. Well-deserved. <laughs> yeah. So I'm actually mad at my modern self because uh, so the theme as well as like I think like 30 cues are available on like official vinyl from this um, uh, distro called uh, Terrorvision, and they keep selling out randomly. Yeah. So every yes. time I want to get a copy of it, it's like sold out. And I'm just uh, it's been like a year long battle for myself to like get a copy of this. I know we we all need to get this on vinyl immediately because uh, it, it needs to be worshipped for what yeah. for the greatness <laughs> that it is. How did you guys feel, and, and and I don't know if you have strong feelings about this at all, but when the song changed in the mid-90s, did you like it? Did you hate it? Uh, did you not even care? So there are two things, right? So firstly, um, it was Robert Stack introing the intro, but uh, in later seasons, it was like some dorky dude saying like, tonight on Zone Mysteries, and it just like, it ruined it automatically mm. for me. Yeah, no, I can, I can understand that. <laughs> I have very strong feelings about that dork. <laughs> he doesn't even get a name. No, he's, he's just, that fucking dweeb. Yeah. Random dork, hired off the street. Like, uh, why would you fuck with the formula? If it ain't broke, you know, don't don't try to fix it, man. Just don't. I kind of liked how, like, it almost seemed like it became, like, spookier in a way. Not Not so much, like heavy in the atmosphere but like it it sounded like some kid just like going boo like a like a, they're pretending to be a ghost like the whole time um only it was like a really repetitive synth but i i also liked how at the end of that newer sequence how it looked like it was a ufo so you know that's yes. up my alley <laughs> i'm a big fan of the original theme but i think it's probably just nostalgia at this point you know yeah yeah, theme, is it though, like, it, like when you when you listen to other shows like this of this type, like the the Jonathan Frakes stuff, like sightings and things, like the theme song <laughs> didn't slap as hard. No. no, man, nothing has ever slapped as hard as the original uh, Unsolved Mysteries theme. Nothing. No, nothing has brought it as hard as that theme. And like, <laughs> can we can we talk about the ending theme for a second? Because like, oh yeah, um, you have you know the uh, initial theme song which. 
is designed to sound like shit's about to go down. Like somebody is going to do something. Whether that's, you know, murder, some alien's going to come nab you off the street or something. And then you get to the ending theme and it sounds like a, uh, how do we put this? Like a robber is just like banging it out after, you know, a really good score. <laughs> so this is my theory, okay, about that. And I, I've given this some thought for some reason. It's like, um, um, it's like uh, post-sex and like Robert Stack is like giving you a cigarette. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which is like... Did you just have a threesome with Robert Stack? Yeah, yeah. It sounded like a, more like a twosome from your description, honestly. Yeah, well, you, you got a point. It, but it's like you, the subject matter, and like Robert Stack. Mm, I got you. I'm, yeah. I'm following the metaphor now. <laughs> it, it, I feel dirtier now. I definitely feel dirty. <laughs> I want the next time you watch an episode when like when that sax hits, I want you to think about that about the cigarette, you know, being handed to you. It, the yeah. of fulfillment. Is Robert Stack handing it to me, or is the is the show content handing it to me? <laughs> I um, prefer it's it's Robert Stack, and he's wearing like the the classic trench coat, <laughs> but nothing else. Nothing else, exactly. <laughs> well, I mean, like to to tie it in, uh, there is a rumor that Robert Stack at one point did have a threesome with JFK and Elizabeth Taylor. Just so you know. Well, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I got I got the useless facts. Don't worry, Rob, I got you, you gotta hit the ending theme now. Yeah, how long is this episode? How much yeah, time can we hang spend up now. on that? This is just over. We'll, we'll move on. We'll, we'll move on <laughs> to uh to, to Robert Stack himself. And uh I'm gonna ask a bold question here. Do you think he was an animated corpse or a ghost? Because those are the vibes that the man gives off. Like that's the ambiance he brings to the show. So I this is like the weirdest flex I get to use and it's a very interesting one. So I have third hand knowledge that he was like alive at one point at least, right? So uh my wife's grandmother attended some sort of <laughs> wait, sailor's wait, wait, dance. Wait, wait. Don't don't we all have some evidence that he was a, a real person? <laughs> I'm just saying that maybe there were men who purported to be Robert Stack, right? Mm. But there's only one real one. Got and it. I mean, like, we we all know how, how reliable third hand testimony is, yeah, exactly. but <laughs> it's good enough to make a TV show. Yeah, oh, for sure, absolutely, especially in this landscape. Yeah, a TV show that lasted for over a decade and a half. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I interrupted your story. Go on. No, no, I mean it's very short, right? So my wife's grandmother attended some sort of like sailors' dance in the forties uh, here in the Montreal area at a, a Royal Canadian Air Force, and he was here training people while he was in the Navy. So they uh, they headed off and they like they danced a bunch, but unfortunately, like it didn't go further. I think he was married and he was just like kind of just hanging out for the night. So he is alive, but uh, uh, reanimated. I think the reanimated corpse. I think is like the the one that makes the most sense. Mm. What, can you explain to me why uh, those are the only two options, Rob? It's just the feeling I've always had about the man. I mean, you could you can add another one to it if you want. You well, could. I'm, I guess I'm wondering what what's that based on? Is it like physical characteristics or uh, personality? Or I think it's really personality. You know, like that kind of stone coldness that he brings to the table mm. <laughs> like so if i i have this image in my head of robert stack just delivering stone cold stunners left and right i mean it is the greatest <laughs> image uh-huh uh-huh uh, have you spent like way too much time just staring into his eyes because this is uh the thesis of a man who like uh has like rewound the tape too much yeah yeah I, his I, eyes are his eyes are fucking weird though. If we're going physical characteristics, <laughs> yep. They, yep, it's like a little bit. They're like a little bit too far back, and the lighting was always weird, so it looked like there was more shadow than there probably really was. 
Yeah. I, I'm, I guess if I had to pick one, I'm going reanimated for that reason. Nice, something yeah. something weird going on with those uh with that eye makeup. Yeah, I think that's fair. I generally tend to lean towards ghosts just because there are a lot of scenes where he's like in mist or there's mist behind him or mm. just there's random fog. Like the man brings random fog to the table somehow and just just imagine being the location scout for Unsolved Mysteries like every season you have to find new spooky places. Like one of them is like a library at one point, right? Yeah. Yep, there's a there's a library. There's just some lowly desolate road. Uh, there's a few cemeteries in there here and there. My favorite my favorite times are like when he walks into the scene. Like he's like in a forest and he just like walks in. There's like five seconds of him just sort of like approaching the camera before he, he launches into whatever. And it's just like it's that five seconds of terror because you don't know what he's about to say. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You, you he's the kind of guy that if you saw him, like you would think he automatically had bad news for you. Like, like, like if, if he was a hitman, he would be a hitman that delivered bad news. He wouldn't kill you. He'd just deliver bad news. I I think we're, uh, I think we're pigeonholing Bobby Stacks a little bit, man. He was a more versatile actor than we're giving him credit I'm, for. I'm not saying that he wasn't a brilliant actor because I mean, I've, I've seen the untouchables. The man is brilliant. Yeah. He had some range. He, he did have some range. He's, at times, he was a little over the top on this show, you know, uh, and I think that's kind of the, you're put in this position, what can I bring my acting, how can I infuse my acting talent into this, and good voiceovers, gravity in the in, in the tone, so I am pigeonholing him, but it, it's only because the visage of Robert Stack has haunted me since I was an eight-year-old child. Rob, can you do me a huge favor? Yeah. Okay, so uh, in between the time we're recording and you're releasing this episode, how much time is there? Uh, this will be out like October 9th. Okay, perfect. What I want you to do is I want you to contact the estate of Robert Stack and get an official comment. <laughs> oh, God. Just, just copy and paste the question and just see if they say anything. <laughs> um, just those two options. Yeah, just just <laughs> those two else. options. I'm doing research for a podcast and I need to know you know, colon, and then go into your question. Great. And I can't wait to receive a <laughs> cease and desist letter from the estate of Robert Stack. Or, if he is a ghost, you're for sure going to start getting haunted if you ask his estate that Son question. Son of a bitch. Oh, for sure. Let's Son do this. of a This is bitch. risky. Yeah, I'm, they're going to send me a haunted item that, you know, <laughs> Robert Stack is attached to, and, you know, there's going to be... A thousand coats. Yeah. Yeah, there's uh, there's gonna be like some animated like trench coat that's gonna stand by my bed. I am not down with that whatsoever. Uh, if he was an animated reanimated corpse, is he dead now? Yes. Yeah. So he he died, was reanimated, but then died for real a second time. Yes. <laughs> Got well, it. Do Do you think I'm using logic here? <laughs> well, no, no, no. I'm just trying to make a decision about which one I think is more likely. Okay. I yeah. I think at one point he may have been an animated corpse, but I think he's a ghost now. Definitely a ghost. Yeah, I guess it could be both, right? He was reanimated, then he died a second time. Now he's a ghost. Yeah. But I think that's solid. Solved I think it. Yeah. I think we've uh I think we've got the the math on this one. Gentlemen, the science here is uh, uh unparalleled. <laughs> yeah. I feel like if there were a way to audio shake hands with each other, this is the moment we do it. <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, absolutely. How well do you guys 
we'll start with Spencer this time. How well do you think the show has aged since the 80s and the 90s? Uh, <laughs> it really depends on what part of it we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, for the most part, like, the information is decent. You know, like, they actually took some time to research some stories. They had enough of a budget to reach out to people who were involved. And, like, for the time, it was a pretty well-produced show. Mm-hmm. So I think, like, that part of it has held up pretty well. Uh, there's definitely some, like, there are heavy, heavy amounts of stereotyping going on in that show just across the board. Yeah. Yeah. Like any time a woman is mentioned, it's only in the context of her being married to someone or like oftentimes women are just referred to as housewives, like without really even getting a name or anything. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I watched an episode yesterday in, in preparation where they spent like an uncomfortable amount of time just shaming the shit out of some dead woman because she had been a stripper at one point. Mm-hmm. And just, yeah. like, interviewed multiple family members about how embarrassed they were for her. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> so those parts of the show have not aged particularly well. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think some, most of the reenactments, and we talked about this a little bit, most of the reenactments are, like, they're not great, but they're also not as bad as I expected them to be rewatching it. Like, I just assumed reenactments from the late 80s, early 90s, watching them in 2019 was going to be like really painful. And for the most part, they're fine. Like Mm. reenactments are always a little corny and the ones where they have totally untrained actors doing the reenactments are obviously more corny, but like it's not as bad as I thought it would be. I guess maybe that's my thesis on all this. Yeah. (laughs) It held up better than it probably should have, Mm. which is not a super high bar, but like, it's definitely still watchable. Yeah, no, I I definitely agree, and it, it it has that it has a cult following now. I mean, it, it and it's back on. You got it on Amazon Prime and and, and YouTube, and now uh, the new series. There's a new series going to be coming out on Netflix at some point, if that's still in the works. But uh, uh, Brian, your thoughts? Yes. How do you uh, think the show has aged? So about 15 years ago, they started putting out uh, different DVD box sets of yeah. like, the different types of you know ghosts, UFOs. I have, when to, I, bought those, I have to interrupt you there. I had the huge box dude, set. Dude, the ultimate collection. Yes, I have The it. treasure chest. Yeah. Same. Nice. Um, so like I was able to watch a lot of concentrated stack like all at once by subject. So that was really cool. And then um, maybe six or eight months ago, I started rewatching um, the entire run on Roku um, all in one go pretty much and my perception of the show kind of changed because i had to sit there for like some really shitty segments to get to some really cool ones mm-hmm. um and so like fuck you lost loves for like example like that's my big <laughs> angry kind of, of thesis here um so a lot of the earlier stuff was shot on film and it looks great still but some of the later video shot segments look super dated mm. I agree. And then uh, uh, I think the big problem um, is the CGI that they had at the time. Like a lot of the UFOs looked like garbage. And then like asteroids looked like uh, like a kid drew a circle and then was like, let's animate this. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was like kind of like frustrating to sit through a, a lot of the time. Like anytime there's like a UFO segment, you know that UFO is going to be shitty. For, for the most part, I agree. I think the only one that they were actually able, able to get away with was 
the Allagash abductions because they they didn't show a UFO. They just mostly showed a light. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. The the, the um, Rendlesham one is hilariously bad. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what it reminds me of? You know, in Men in Black One, where those two aliens are sitting down in that restaurant for pierogies, <laughs> and like there's that that guy is bringing diamonds to his kids. And the container that he has the diamonds in looks like that goddamn UFO. <laughs> that is very specific. It's very specific, but it looks exactly <laughs> like that. And the, the uh, let's just get it out of the way. The, the, the UFO that they put, that they animated, looks nothing like the UFO those guys saw. No, exactly. And, and there's a lot of that, too. Like, the, um, the Belgian UFO wave, like, the reenactments there are horrible. The CGI is shitty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and you know that's that's coming down to budget for the most part. Oh, for sure, yeah. Well, and, it's kinda, and, some of that is just the era too, right? Yeah, like, the, for sure. For they sure. didn't have the money to do it practically. It was probably still cheaper to do CGI, but it was '90s CGI, right? And practical uh, Bigfoot is so great in this series. You know, it's just <laughs> <laughs> so fantastic. I think. When you look at early unsolved mysteries, there are certain things that they that they promote that are just I can't believe that they actually did that one, and then it's a testament to the era, the Satanic Panic. You know, definitely unsolved mysteries helped to promote that. <laughs> Dude, everything was a Satanic ritual. Yeah, so many Satanic rituals. There was a lot of amnesia in this. You know, in the way that Rescue Nine One One focused on people falling off cliffs there were a lot of people with amnesia in this show just saying do you remember this this there's like one specific segment where like this husband had gone lost and then like uh, there's like an update and uh they discover him and he's like living this entirely new life and like he, he wants nothing to do with his wife yeah i'm not sure if he's trolling Damn. or if i he watched that had... segment today yeah well, yeah i couldn't figure out whether or not he was like i hate my wife so much i need to lie to robert stack or if he legitimately yes. was going through something right right <laughs> um yeah, that that man's name is Craig Williamson. And, yes, that's it. Yeah, yeah, and uh, he supposedly suffered a concussion two weeks before he was uh, he was going out to sell tilapia because he had a tilapia farm, which is weird for Wisconsin, I guess. I don't know. I, I don't know. Get that, ba- get that bag somehow, I guess. Yeah, uh, yeah you got fish it, in the Midwest. It's, that's that adds up. Yeah, but it's tilapia. It's not like you could fish tilapia. Well, no, that's why it's a farm. Yeah. No, I get you. I get <laughs> not you. not pulling them out of the ocean from Madison. I know. It's just like, I, you know, it's kind of weird. You just, you don't see, you don't see fish farms come up on shows like this all that often. <laughs> I'm just saying. He's got to have some kind of job. Yeah, he does. He does. Uh, he had a converted school bus that right, he. Right. That was the other weird thing. Yeah. he That he took and shopped his fish around with. And he ends up going to Colorado Springs, and his wife, they had been married, I think, like, less than a month before he ended up going on this uh, trip. And, uh, yeah, he, he didn't come back, and there were all these signs of him down in, like, El Paso, Texas, Juarez, Mexico, and then some lady saw him on a train, all disheveled. Like, the update is the most devastating thing about that 
that segment. Yeah, that he wants nothing to do with his yeah. life. Yeah, like, he had been living his life, I think, for, like, five years at the time, and then you get that segment, he's like, they parted ways, I'm like, oh god, <laughs> my heart is breaking. Update, man doesn't give a shit. <laughs> exactly. Actually, you know what, that is something I like to talk about, in that this is one of the few shows where updates still get continually pushed to the episodes. Yeah. Which is kind of amazing in 2019 that there's like a, a dedicated staff to ensuring that like any updates to cases like get tacked on at the end. Yeah, and it's also a testament to like uh, the unsolved wiki. Those people over there do a oh, hell dude. of a job keeping that thing updated. Yeah, satanic panic, amnesia, people just running away from home too. Yes, they they, they seem to promote that idea a lot. Well, there's that story of that girl who, like, gets on the bus, and there's, like, four black truckers who, like, befriend her, Mm -hmm. and she's, like, trying to find them, and, like, it it was, like, this really kind of weird situation, and I was just like, you know what, this is cool, and, like, 15 minutes later, she's like, I'm still looking for them, and, like, the update, of course, is she finds a couple of them and gives them hugs. Yeah. Dude, those segments are so trash. (laughs) (laughs) The fucking Craigslist misconnection ones never would have happened if that show was made, like, 10 years later. Absolutely. Now Absolutely. all that shit is like that is the equivalent of my cousin added me on Facebook. Let's make a twenty minute TV segment about it. So I, <laughs> I know we're going to talk about like worst episodes or segments later on, but like by far, like that kind of like lost, like misconnection, love, like lost love cases are like the most angering. And sometimes like they're the lead segment, so you have to spend like fifteen minutes just listening to this before they're like, "Can you help us find them? Just show us a picture and move on." Like three minutes in. Lost love segments weren't necessarily all that long, usually, just because you can normally tell those stories in, like, a shorter segment, so you're talking, like, I don't know, five to eight minutes. You know, definitely not UFO-worthy length stuff, but... No, um, exactly. I but, think some of it, too, is just, like, they had to put something in those episodes that wasn't just horrific and depressing. Like, yeah, you right. have every episode be all, like rape and murder and alien abductions right you gotta you gotta have a feel-good story every once in a while right but that's that those are the treasure segments oh god great point did anybody did anybody ever find a treasure on this show ever no no No, it was all snake oil yeah it's 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 all snake oil and i put those segments up there with the lost love segments because they're all bs yeah they might be a little bit interesting but no thank you I'm, i'm i'm good with that uh, we'll we'll pass. So you might still get an update, Rob. You just gotta you just gotta be patient, man. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not that patient, dude. Uh, I'm, my my patience is. I'm good. I'm good out here. Getting into now the kind of best segments and stuff. So before we get into the specific stuff, what do you think were some of the best? Like, if you had to pick like segment titles, what were some of the best? Were there any that you really looked forward to when when they would come on? I was always partial to the UFO stuff. I think mm. mostly just because that's more of what I was interested in than the sort of true crime or the missed connections stuff. Um, mm. And it seems like more genuinely mysterious to me, right? Like if, if somebody, there's a murder that's unsolved, we still know like a person killed a person. Right, we don't know yeah. the details or which person killed that person, but like with the UFO stuff, we got no fucking clue for some of this. 
I, right? I, there's I way s- more potential for speculation, and it's a, a much more uh, fun type of speculation in some ways instead of like speculating over the details of a murder, you know? Right. Well, I mean, y- you know, with any UFO story that you're going to get, nobody has a fucking clue what's what's going on. It, right. It's and, just... and then people make up a bunch of wacky bullshit instead, which is fun. Yeah. Yeah, it is fun. Yeah, you're absolutely correct. <laughs> like, th- there are two segments I- I- that I'm keeping in mind right now on the cryptid side of things. So the Chupacabra episode and the Skunk Ape episode, two of the most thrilling segments you'll ever watch. Yeah, I agree because uh, you have Robert Stack who constantly calls it the Chupacabras. Yeah, he puts an N- S on the end. <laughs> well, I mean, there, there's knows- probably more than one, honestly. Right. See, that's the thing. He may know something we don't. Oh, he definitely uh, knows oh. things we don't. Yeah, I mean, you know, him and his Bilderberg and, you know, uh, Illuminati connections, he's a, he has to know something. <laughs> and, you know, you that's guys... heavy specula- speculation on my part. I know. I'm doing the heavy lifting here. <laughs> Do either of you guys know which episode that Chupacabra's one is? I need to yeah, rewatch that. Yeah, I can, I can actually it's, tell it's, you. It's from it. season, it's one of the later ones. It's like 95 or 96. Yeah, hold on. Okay. I can actually get you the so exact. season seven-ish? I think it's uh, nine it's or ten, yeah. Season oh. eight, episode eighteen. There we go. Hell yeah! yeah. And uh, there's, uh, I'm looking at uh, the the website is Decider, and it's the ten weirdest unsolved mysteries cases. And it says, uh, and there's a picture of Robert Stack, and it's and underneath it says, or perhaps, just perhaps, the Chupacabras does walk among us. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I mean, th- this is what. This is before the chupacabra became like more of a dog-looking thing. This is at a time when it was a bipedal reptilian-looking, red-eyed, glowing, crazy, creepy motherfucking thing. Lots of scales. Lots of scales. Got those like weird pointy protuberances on the back. I'm not down with it. He looks like really (laughs) shitty Sonic the Hedgehog. He does. Like wow. Shots like his, fired. yeah, like you know, <laughs> third cousin twice removed or something. Yeah, it's bad. It, it, it's bad. So I was there for the, the the unexplained segments, like pretty much every time, and I was down with just about any unexplained segment that they had. And some of them were dumb. Like there was that lady that uh, claimed that she could even like emit gold glitter on her skin, kind of like the old ectoplasm stuff from back in the 1800s. That was weird, and that was dumb. I always popped hard for the UFO segments. Um, Most of the ghost ones were pretty interesting. But for me, it was always the UFO ones that kind of got me. Like, I probably wouldn't be doing this podcast if it wasn't for for two segments on Unsolved Mysteries. The first is Lonnie Zamora and his UFO sighting, which infused my brain has affected my mind and i'm still dealing with it the other is the allagash abductions which has like 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 tormented me from a young age i can't look at their drawings of their aliens because Mm -hmm. they look so damn creepy like of any drawing of any alien ever the allagash guys take the cake they're the creepiest scariest looking things are those the guys with the big claw hands they they looked really insect like. Yeah. Okay. The the case involved the two Wiener brothers, Jack and Jim, 
Charlie Foltz and Chuck Rack. And they were all artists, which kind of like puts, it's a little suspicious. There are artists and they have different interpretations of what they've seen, but I think it was Jack Wiener when he was drawing them, they didn't have mouths, they didn't have any kind of like nose holes, didn't have ears, they just had these big huge eyes and like almost like this covering over where the mouth should be and it, oh, creepy, just creepy. Not down with it. (laughs) Sounds terrible. (laughs) Yeah, it is Um, terrible. I need to ask both of you a very serious question. We've never shared like a physical space before, but I assume you've had childhoods, right? Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Okay, perfect. Okay. Um, and Rob, just in you talking about, you know, your kind of the way in which you viscerally react to something, um, watching Unsolved Mysteries, even as an adult, is the closest thing I feel to that, like, um, uh, fear but excitement you get when you are playing hide and seek. Mm. Yeah. I, and, I can, I, I'm here for that. Yeah. And, like, I don't have that in my life apart from this, right? And that's the thing, too, is that, like, uh, Unsolved Mysteries definitely shaped my childhood. Like, I remember specifically, like, there's this used bookstore that my parents used to take me to. And I used to start just buying, like, paperback UFO books at, like, age seven and eight just to start reading them. I distinctly remember, and I've shared this story on your podcast, Brian. I was uh, maybe in sixth grade, sixth or seventh grade. We were doing this project that involved taking Billy Joel's We Didn't Start the Fire, breaking everything down by a decade, because you can pretty much, it, it follows a pattern, and then having to do a paper on it. The other part of the project was that we had to add to it and put in something that, you know, he left out or or our own version of it. And I remember typing in the name J. Allen Hynek because I had heard it on Unsolved Mysteries. Never came back with anything because, I mean, this is like 1996 and, you know, search engines are just so damn reliable back then. They're just going to come back with information. But, yeah, Brian, the way that you um, said that, you're like you're like two sentences away from a lost love segment, man. Telling <laughs> um so talking about worst uh, episodes and segments uh are you prepared to talk about the infamous uh, season nine episode rob (laughs) yeah uh spencer i don't i don't know i i didn't i didn't share this information with you i I only shared it with brian i kind of want you to be along for the ride on this okay but in season nine uh, let me let me get the exact. It's episode twelve because I literally yes, just is. watched it again. Yeah, <laughs> it is episode twelve. It's affectionately it... known as the boner episode. Uh, pardon? It's the... also the lead. It's it's the first segment of the show too, which is astounding. Yeah. Um. So you had some mysterious boners. Uh, we're we're gonna break it down right now. The segment is on aphrodisiacs. It features this guy named Charlie, and Charlie apparently worked 18-hour days, like, every single day. His relationship was falling apart, so he went to see a physician. Her name is Dr. Cynthia Watson. Cynthia Watson has been studying aphrodisiacs for, like, decades at this point, and... She, you know, is asking him all these kind of questions, and then she just starts veering into his sex life. She prescribes him a couple of things and tells him to get some rest. Right. He goes out into the reception area, and he sees this box of chocolates. And he just starts eating them. 
and eating them. And, like, he's kind of an asshole because he's wadding them up and putting, like, the wrappers in the box. Like, <laughs> throw them out, you dick! And, okay, if I could describe this guy, I would describe him as a, um, a, like, B version of Tommy Wiseau. Because or, he looks ex- almost like him. Or Andrew Dice Clay. Yeah, he, he could do a passable Andrew Dice Clay. I, I completely agree. The receptionist comes out, and she says, well, how many of those chocolates have you eaten? And he's like, oh, I've just been mowing them down. And she says, oh, they're Dr. Watson's love potion. <laughs> so, yeah, so... She says, oh, they're aphrodisiacs, and, like, the guy, the guy's talking like he knows what an aphrodisiac is, even though you can pretty much look at his face and tell that he doesn't. And let me tell you, this is the guy. The guy is reenacting his trip into this doctor's office. Um, so he goes home. He takes some of these chocolates home with him, and he has, quote, a steamy night that night with with his uh, lady friend and he feeds her some of these chocolates and you know apparently it saves his Wait, relationship. Wait, he pocketed some on the way out? Yes, yes. he did. He pocketed <laughs> like four or five of them. Asshole. There are some memorable lines here though that need to be brought up. Mm-hmm. Uh, they talk about like certain things that like are supposed to be aphrodisiacs and they at one point talk about dandelions and in terms of dandelions, Robert Stack says the phrase, jumpstart the engines of love. <laughs> Hell yeah. Also, can we talk about the real, like, um, uh, the intro of the segment, there's, like, a man feeding a woman an oyster, but he doesn't feed her the oyster. He, like, scoops out the oyster with a spoon and gives it to her. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like, that's a real chump move, bro. It is. It what? is. You can tell that guy has never had an oyster in his day. I'm confused. What is the mystery that's unsolved about this? <laughs> there, There is no real mystery. That is legitimately the, the one thing my wife kept screaming as we were watching this. She didn't understand, like, where is the mystery? Is the mystery, yeah. like, you, you can't get laid? Is that it? That's not it. <laughs> that's, uh, that is the only mystery that I can discern from this. B-movie Tommy Wiseau cannot get laid. He just can't get laid. He's got but problems he did, in the bedroom. Right? But he did after consuming these chocolates. Um, that, so that's a solved mystery, if anything. That's not uh, really on brand. You know, it kind of solved his problem, but I don't know <laughs> if it solved the entire mystery. That's that's still to be seen. But <laughs> well, maybe there we'll are, get an update. <laughs> uh, you know, maybe down the line we'll get an update. Charlie, how's how are things going, bud? <laughs> Uh, so two things, uh, Cynthia Watson still practices, and I found her Yelp review page. Uh, just to let you know, uh, I control F. There's no unsolved mysteries mentions. But my favorite review is like there are either like one star reviews or five star reviews. Uh, there's no like threes or fours. So she's and very polarizing. So the first person review them, and I'm just going to read the first paragraph because it's like two lines. Have a real bone to pick with this doctor. She charges wheel West Side prices, five hundred dollars, and the goods are sometimes just not delivered. <laughs> wow. Real that harsh. is real harsh. harsh. Real harsh. harsh. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, Rob, we need to talk, and, and Spencer, you need to watch this now. Uh, uh-huh. The a- ending, like uh, the Robert Stack wrap up, is the most awkward thing I've ever heard him do. Yeah. Yeah. There's a couple of things that Robert Stack says. 
the first thing is that uh, he urges you to consult a physician before consuming love potions. That's that seems that's like po- solid advice, honestly. <laughs> yeah, it uh, it does, but just the way that he delivers it, I'm like, this is a man that delivers this kind of news in the same voice that he talks about murder. Yeah, yeah. It's it's very jarring to to say the least. I'm telling Especially, you, man, he was like, versatile. He, yeah, he was versatile, but if, say this is your first episode of Unsolved Mysteries that you're ever watching. Somebody gives it to you to watch. Wow, that's going to be quite a shocker down the line when you watch some like murder shit just happening. <laughs> yeah, the rest of that series is going to be really disappointing if you start with this one. Yeah, the second thing he says <laughs> is that giving someone aphrodisiacs or drugs without their consent could be against the law. Could be. So the, yeah. the cool shit here is that like Robert Stack is like like pro consent, super yes. awesome. But yeah. do you think legal forced him to say that? Yes, uh, one million percent. Yes. yes, yes. There is no way that there that, that that he wasn't getting out of that without saying it. Also, if no they way. did that same episode in season three, there's no way that they're saying that. <laughs> they made yeah. some progress throughout the nineties, yeah. at least. Yeah. So, um, um, <laughs> I think the most telling thing, though, Rob is uh, and Spencer. When you watch this, you need to watch for this. There's like two seconds of this. Right at the end, he smiles. He does. It's, he does. It's fucking eerie. Well, yeah, man, do you Bobby think... Stacks fucks. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say. Do oh, you yeah. think? He's gotta let do you think he leave. smiles? Do you think he smiles because he knows that he has no problem taking care yeah. of business? That's a I... smile of a confident man. Yeah. I read it the other way. I read it that he realized that his show is jumping the shark nine seasons in, <laughs> <laughs> and he's just like, "Well, I'm talking about boners now. This is all I'm doing with my like check still clears, bud. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah." Oh, wow. Are there in like certain stories like that really stood out to you that you still remember to this day after you know watching an episode of Unsolved Mysteries like uh Spencer, is there anything that is there any one or or handful of stories that really stuck out to you? Um I I went back to the Roswell episode just because I wanted to try and hit the UFO bases. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was, I was pleasantly surprised by like how good it was in terms of just a primer for that whole story. Right. Like in terms of just a general overview of the Roswell situation as it stood in whatever, 1990 when they did that episode. 89. Yeah. 89. Yeah. Um, I was, I was impressed. Like they, they actually took some time to get most of that stuff quote-unquote right i guess (laughs) and to be honest that's the first time that roswell was presented to a general public it was mostly within the ufo community up until uh, about that time the research that stan friedman and bill moore and and later don schmidt and and a few of the others like it, it was more going on behind the scenes yeah there were a lot of people in the ufo community that like knew about it but the general public itself did not know about it at the time until it aired on unsolved mysteries and it was so popular that they re-aired it like a few months later and got higher ratings right yeah i i recently read uh crash at corona stanton friedman's yeah. book Yep. And he credits that episode multiple times throughout that book with bringing forward tons of new witnesses and yeah. quote-unquote yep. evidence about that whole story. 
Brian, how about you? I think, yeah, like Spencer, like the UFO stuff, like the the Belgian UFO wave, the Rendlesham Forest, like despite the shitty like visuals, it was a kind of a compelling story. Um, the Carp Guardian UFO case, because it was one of the few where they showed like a bunch of like video footage, even though it was most likely like a military helicopter in the end. It was still like when you're young, it, it's cool to see. Yeah, especially since it's in your neck of the woods. You know? Exactly. Yeah, it's like two hours away from here. Um, some of like the like the missing people stuff like killed me, like the Ohio prostitute killer. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the barrier butcher, the dude who like uh, murdered a mother and the two daughters and like weighed them down with concrete. Yeah, that was um, terrifying. Yeah, uh, and, and then like there's one. It's the Wendy Camp, uh, Cynthia Brito, and Lisa Krieger. Like they go missing in 1992, and there's an update in 2013 where their remains are discovered like in an unmarked grave like nearby. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was like pretty awful. Um, the Circleville writer, which we you and I have talked about uh, before, um, super interesting. The fact that he decided to send a letter to Unsolved Mysteries to sort of like you know coax them was kind of funny. Yeah, it it, it was, and like, um, they do, they still don't know. I, and and like looking watching the the episode back, you can easily tell that it's more than one person writing the letters just by looking at the handwriting on the letters. <laughs> Yeah, um, it kind of reminds me of the Stephen King novel Needful Things. Yeah. yeah. Because, like, it's the idea that this writer is just sending, lo- like, local people, like, I know that you're cheating on your husband when you're not, and things like that, like, kind of, like, disrupting everyone around there. Yeah. There are a ton of cases that have, like, uh, I, like I mentioned, too, that were, like, really pivotal for me. But there are a bunch still that um, really, I, I think about probably every week. One of them is the La Posada Hotel haunting. They aired that back in 95, and I remember it was, like, the first time I'd ever seen ghost hunters on television, like, trying to search for evidence of ghosts. And uh, I remember Julia Staub's freaking face in that men's room mirror, and um, I was freaked out. I didn't look in a mirror for, like, a year after that. It was really, really fucking freaky. Donnie Decker, the, the rain man... The guy yes. that made it rain, holy Jesus, that scared the shit out of me. Whenever they kind of touched on, like, demonic possession, oh, uh, no, no, pass. <laughs> pass on all that. And, I mean, Donnie Decker's kind of a special case because the story's very unique because you don't really know. It, it kind of seems like a possession case, and then, like, it kind of doesn't, and then apparently he could just make it rain in, indoors it was really uh freaking terrifying um brian we gotta talk about the the haunted bunk beds <laughs> <laughs> i knew this would come up uh, yeah my host angelo uh, uh swears that is like the most insane and scary uh story to ever like come out of unsolved mysteries and it has marked him like to this day the interesting thing is i looked on reddit I, and i there was a uh, thread about scariest unsolved mysteries episodes this was a popular one this scared a lot of people i think it was the associated stuff so like the stuff that the kids saw like the daughter that was sleeping in one of those beds saw a red-eyed witch behind her door one point there was like a vision of a fire one of the kids alarm clocks was like malfunctioning and wonky and I did genuinely cry out for joy when they destroyed that bed. I really did. <laughs> he refuses to buy his kids uh, bunk beds because of that. You know, that that sounds like a totally Angelo move. 
but you know what's scarier than that? The 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 episode with the, like the the low frequency, like the the Taosom, I think that's what it's uh, called, right? Yeah, yeah. Like Taosom. that is generally more scarier, like more scarier. That's fucking weird grammar. Uh, uh, scarier than the bunk bed. It is because you just you don't know. We don't really know what hauntings are. They're anything at all. But like a hum that you know is not something that people claim to hear every single day but people are tormented by this sound and the fact that they could kind of recreate that sound is it was creepy it was just really goddamn creepy i think for me like one of the scary things is the update segment right because you don't know how it's going to go so there's always like about like five seconds of like oh it it ended well or oh shit they're dead which is like 90 percent of the time or it's just two old ladies hugging each other. So much of that. Listen, I, I if it's a particularly creepy episode, I'm down for an old ladies hugging segment. I need it. I'm I need saying, it, man. It, it, that shit serves a purpose, as painful as it is to watch these days. That, yeah, that's, I guess so. Yeah, that's how you get to bed at night. My favorite is like, I wonder if there's like a production budget on there. Like, okay, we have to save like three thousand dollars for flights for the old ladies. <laughs> yes brilliant yeah there's no way that that's not in the budget at all you know there's it's, it's no no lodging budget though y'all gotta no. bunk up together <laughs> no gotta bunk up we we sit we salvage those haunted bunk beds they're sleeping on <laughs> i always found those segments kind of intrusive though because like the camera's like right there all yeah. the time yeah and like you can see uh with some of them that don't get filmed i'm like i kind of like like I throw my hand up and I'm like, yeah, don't let them film that shit. It's special. <laughs> or they did. And it just went really poorly. Yeah. <laughs> there were a, a couple of episodes from my neck of the woods that, that always kind of, um, I, I remember my hometown kind of went ape shit over one of them. And that was the, uh, haunting of grace Brown up at uh, big moose Lake who, in the early 1900s, it, there was a famous murder trial uh, up in our neck of the woods, and this woman, Grace Brown, was murdered uh, on Big Moose Lake. She drowned, and I'm going to be covering that story, which is going to be kind of weird because I don't talk about murder all that often, but uh, I remember watching her ghost doing some weird shit around Big Moose Lake, and then I never want to visit that place ever. Ever. So you're going to go there when you do that episode, right? Yeah, I'm going. I got to go. <laughs> <laughs> I got to experience it for myself. In, in terms of the cryptids, I have to share my favorite Bigfoot story of all time because it was featured on Unsolved Mysteries. I and mean, this is the Elmer Fromback story. And if you guys don't know it, it, it is a, I, I just love the hell out of the story because it's so, just so strange. Albert Frombach, he was an electrician, and he was also a prospector. He lived in Seattle, I believe, and he was just he was uh, in the woods outside of Seattle when uh, he had his sighting. But he was on this trail, and he was look he was like inspecting rocks, like he's Andy Dufresne out in the goddamn woods or something with his little rock hammer. He starts banging away at a rock, and then he starts to hear what sounds like somebody else banging away at a rock that's like a lot bigger and it's up the hill from him and he kind of assumes it's his kids that are like messing with him so he calls out to whoever's up this hill and it's kind of freaking him out and he's like hey up there and all of a sudden this like 
avalanche just falls down this hillside and <laughs> the reenactment is great because it's a guy in a Bigfoot costume just rolling down a hill <laughs> and <laughs> he rolls onto this trail the guy doesn't know what it is but he is like if we're talking about white bread this guy is the whitest bread like just straight laced down to earth not down for this kind of BS and this Bigfoot just gets up, stands up in the trail, and the guy pulls out his pistol. He's like, I, I, gotta, I gotta get this thing away from me. So he fires a shot off in the air. The, the Bigfoot just turns back and looks at him, and then turns back around and just starts to walk down the trail. Like, fuck you, buddy. <laughs> fuck you and your gun. <laughs> so... This guy, instead of getting the hell out of there, continues down the trail because he assumes that the Bigfoot's gone. And at the end of the trail, he sees it hunched over, banging another... He he described the rock that it was banging as the size of a basketball and just banging it over and over again on some hard surface. And it takes a look over at him, sees him, and then it just chases him off. It's like... This guy's running, and he's being pursued by Bigfoot. Bigfoot, he just wants him out of the area. He's not hes not going to nab the guy, but uh, yeah, this is like one of my all-time favorite Bigfoot stories, and I, re- I remember watching this episode. And this episode has some heavy-hitting stuff. It's an episode in Season 6 that features the Craig Williamson story and another story that terrified me. Uh, are there any other stories that uh, y- you guys would add to that mix? Um, the Tammy Lynn Leopard disappearance, like she was the actress who like yep. had this like weird breakdown and then like disappeared, and like the theories that like she was at a party and saw something that she wasn't supposed to. Right. Right. But that entire like chain of events was like super weird, so I find that super uh, captivating to me. Yeah, yeah, I I, I completely agree with you. Uh so th- this story gives me nightmares. And it's the story of Bill and Dorothy Wacker. These two are just this unassuming elderly couple. They've lived in the same house for 48 years. And oh, wait, is this the like a harassment case? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay, I know oh, this one. This yeah. one sucks. Yeah. So not like bad sucks, but it it sucks. Oh, it's, it, it, yeah. Um, so <laughs> it, it does like big time. So it, it all starts in 1984. When they come home from an outing of some kind, uh, they walk in and they find their house just completely disheveled, just torn up. Somebody's ransacked the place, and they have no idea who it is. In early 1985, when they get the police involved, it's about the third time uh, that it's happened. And then things begin to escalate. July 1985, Dorothy's home alone. She's recovering from heart surgery. And she hears this knock at the door, and and there's a guy claiming that his car broke down, like, at the end of the street, and if he could use the phone. So she let him use the phone, and she thought that he had left. Well, it turns out that he didn't, and ended up hitting her over the head, and tying her up, gagging her, and she woke up on her kitchen floor all, you know, tied, bound together at... Fuck no. Fuck that. And then it escalates to harassing phone calls, creepy notes. There were three items that ended up going missing from the house. One was a revolver, 
The other was a gold watch, a video camera, and a, and a few other items. And they mysteriously were brought back. Bill Wacker came home one day and he found his revolver sitting on his front porch in a grocery bag. When Dorothy was bound and tied in the kitchen that, that one time, there was a note scrawled on their, I think their dining room wall that said, Cheaper, but we'll do. Now, the fuck that! <laughs> While this is a very serious case, the only thing that made me laugh is like they weren't they doing stakeouts at one point. Yeah, like, like at with one neighbors point. and shit. They had two groups of three at one point. They were going to try to nab this guy. Just after they called it off, the guy they heard three. Uh, it sounded like someone coming up their front porch steps, uh, and they go outside, but they don't catch the guy. But there's a note. It just said, "Get the message." Okay. Okay, cool. creepy fuck. Cool, cool, cool. Yikes. Yeah. Uh, they eventually have security lights put up. They find a note that says, Your lights, lights spelled L-I-G-H-T-Z, are a uh, laugh. Yes. Yeah. The Fred Durst spelling. Yep, we got Fred Durst. <laughs> I, You know, I could use a Fred Durst inspirational quote right now. Definitely. <laughs> uh, one, two, one, two, what the fuck are you going to do? Yeah, that'll work. At another point, this is in 1993, Dorothy is outside letting her dog out and uh, somebody attacks her from behind and this time she has to go to the hospital for skull lacerations. This thing is creepy on all levels. Fuck this shit. Yeah. Couldn't I, I, agree more. Feel, yeah, like I just feel like it's like a very inept police force here. Like that that's the thing is like the way it's presented here, it's like these folks are helpless, and every time that they try to do something, this person is either like a step ahead of them, or is like some fucking invisible bandit bullshit. I don't know, but what's this guy's motive? Seriously, that's that's the worst part of the whole story. Is there there doesn't appear to be any. No. And. What yeah? What are they gaining from any of this, and why those two people, and why like these methods? None of it makes any practical sense. No, I think one. Those are some of the most terrifying cases. I think though, like the random acts of violence ones. Like there's the guy who's like working on his car, and like the guy shoots him Mm -hmm. for no real reason, then runs off. Yeah, another one in that vein was um, the the disappearance of Angela Hammond. The only reason I say that is because the way that it plays out is almost like it's horror movie-esque. It's cinematic in that she's on the phone with her fiancé at the time. And the only reason... She's at a payphone bank. And the only reason she's at a payphone bank is because they can't afford a a phone in their house. They're trying to save as much money as they can. And uh, this creepy guy with some dirty-ass overalls pulls up next to her and... You know, she's getting creeped out. The guy freaking nabs her, and this is a small-ass town, Clinton, Missouri. Her fiancé, Rob, just, like, storms out of the house. He was babysitting his brother at the time. Tears off in his car, sees the guy, passes the guy, turns the vehicle around, and as he's coming around uh, doing a right-hand turn, his transmission fucking dies. Right. This is some horror movie-esque shit. Yeah. Uh, another one too in that vein is the Blind River Killer, right? It's that that old couple from Ontario, and like someone shows up and knocks on their RV and just shoots them. Yep. No motive there. 
just gee, I, I was this. We were we were laughing like 15 minutes ago. We were having a good time. This was fun. Uh, now it's just uh, yeah. Boner segments. Boner <laughs> segments. <laughs> Should have quit while we were ahead with the boner segments. <laughs> I, uh, we should have. We should have. We were. We were one hundred percent. We were one hundred percent ahead. Did we climax too early? Oh uh, shit! I someone had to say it. Someone did. They had to. Did they? <laughs> <laughs> oh shit! So, um, now that we've now that we've gone gone through like the the all the motions here, pretty much. Like I said earlier, Unsolved Mysteries is coming back on Netflix. What are some cases that you would like to see them cover that they never covered on the original Unsolved Mysteries or like new ones that you would just want to see covered? Start with you, Spencer. We needed the Outlaw Pass episode. Yeah, 100%. Fully agree. There's so much stuff there. It's so weird. It's been around for so long. We have the like recency tie-in with uh, Russia opening a new investigation into it. I think it'd be perfect. Yeah, I mean, I I would add on the on that same end the, the Yuba County Five. That would be a perfect yeah. perfect yeah, totally. subject. That might for be them better, honestly. Probably. Yeah, just just because like the uh, there there's as much mystery and intrigue to that story as there is to the Diatlov past case although i'd say diatlov kind of edges it out a little bit but yeah just with it being more recent though and it being california instead of russia you probably get access to a lot more information than just better content for that one yeah i 100 percent agree brian uh, so my big problem is I'm not sure who's hosting it, and I, I did a bunch of research and I can't find out like who the new host is. So I'm just picturing Robert Stack in my mind, anyways. That's fine. Um, and so some of these are like legitimate things that we've covered that I want them to do, and then some of them are just uh, 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 things I would like Robert Stack to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, John Tijor. Yep. Hell oh, yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> uh, the the Chicago Mothman flap from like a year ago. Yes. Yeah. Let's go. That would be dope. Yep. Uh, the the Cuban sonic attacks. Mm. Oh yeah, yeah, that would be interesting. Um, uh, and just for fun, like Jeffrey Epstein. Ooh, just yeah, for fun, he says. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then in the same vein, like to the stars and, and you know Robert Bigelow, et cetera, et cetera, kind of lumping them all together. Uh, you know, because it's kind of the same, pretty much. Let's be honest. I I think we're in need of someone to do like a deep dive on Robert Bigelow, mostly because there isn't a ton of information out there. And like, yeah, how how do you yeah, do that? Yeah, that like that's the tough thing because like you can only trace the steps so far. You can see where they start in like the late eighties, early nineties with the abduction research, and then he's done with that and moves on to to form NIDS and study Skinwalker Ranch, and then the timeline continues on to Bigelow Aerospace. So, like, yeah, so somebody needs to do a deep dive on him. I don't think necessarily Unsolved Mysteries is the show to do it, but I think, like, a an overview of Robert Bigelow would probably sure. be pretty great. I, I think it's uh, uh, much needed. I also, Three words I would love Robert... Oh, sorry, go ahead. I just love the premise of a, a person being an Unsolved Mystery. Yeah. And, yeah. and this episode, what the fuck's up with this guy? He's pretty weird. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, fully, 100%. <laughs> uh, well, listen, like, after boners, you, there's nowhere else to go after that, right? 
I guess it's all downhill from there. It was all downhill from there because, like, the only other kind of funny segment that I can think of is the guy that they so graciously called Fumbles. The uh, armed robber who, like, tripped and he couldn't get his mask to stay on at certain points, but still managed to rob 30 freaking banks. Good for him, man. Yeah. It was a different time. It it was a very different time. Uh, Gotta play the hand you're dealt, you know? (laughs) Uh, uh, Three words I would love Robert Stack to say, the dark web. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, and just for fun, even though this is uh, uh, like kind of solved already, it's the Atacama alien slash skeleton. Yeah, just to have the skeptics on there to like berate the people that oh, actually yeah. like to berate the Stephen Greers out there that you know yes. Harold this is, this thing is an alien child. Yeah, I, I, I um, yeah, I would love to watch that go down. Uh, also, like uh, rail, like the Raelian movement in general. Like, how yes. where does the money come from? Why do they believe in that? Um, Why they, are they so uh, cool? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They uh, they operate within Quebec, right? So I've uh, my co-host Angela lived near their like compound slash like uh, amusement park, like UFO Welcome Center for a yeah. while. Um, so I'd love to see like a Robert Stack like character do that. And finally, uh, that one time Warwick Davis shared a picture of a video on Twitter of what he thought was an alien, and then he tagged Secure Team Ten. I would love to watch that episode. <laughs> that would be brilliant. <laughs> oh, also, um, uh, Spencer mentioned uh, Politas before missing four one one stuff. Yeah, yeah. Get cop, get cop face on there, and get like <laughs> get like the hard skeptics to slap him oh, in dude, the face. It, it could be an amazing episode. Yeah, it could. They need, now I'm really, I'm thinking a lot about who this host should be or is going to be. It'd be great to have it be somebody who's not quite as deathly serious as Robert Stack was. Like somebody who can at least acknowledge the silliness of some of these things. Uh, Rob, I think you might uh, be angry about this one, but uh, what about Frakes? I would love that. I'm I'm not Rob, but I would love that. he could pull it off. I mean, I've I've trashed the man on a couple of meltdowns now, and I'm here for it, man. I'm here for it because the only other option that you really have is uh, William Shatner, and I've seen that unexplained no, show. No, 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 don't do that. No, no, no. And it was a mistake from the from the start. Uh, uh, voice personality combo, uh, Will Arnett. Oh yeah, yeah. Because uh, I feel like he could be kind of serious, but then like laugh at the the boner stuff. Yeah, he could. He he totally could. Oh, sorry, I've got one final note. Uh, I wrote down magic or some shit. I don't know. I'm throwing that out there for my uh, podcast co-host who's obsessed with magic, so, like, illusions or something like that. Yeah. Mm. If I could think of somebody in my head who would be perfect for this, just in, like, the gravity they bring to characters, Brian Cranston, man. If Brian Cranston oh, was up there damn. and delivering these mysteries, holy shit, I would be here for it. Hell Yeah. 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 Either him or Jeremy Corbell. I no, we're not. We're not talking. We're not talking oh. about Jeremy four names. Not talking about Jeremy four names. Oh, well, this has been fun, fellas. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! So, if I'm bringing something to the table to to this this question, I I I think Dugway Proving Ground is worthy of an oh, Unsolved yeah. Mysteries episode just because of the. The Skull Valley incident stuff uh, from the 70s, 60s or 70s, I can't remember. But, like, 
the secret stuff they do out there with chemical weapons and stuff. It's a, it's a very, very creepy place. I'm not down with it. Um, it could be the like the new like S4 slash Area 51. By the way, I don't know if you've researched them on Google recently, but uh, their hours of operation are 24 hours, my friend. 24. 24 oh, hours. Fuck. <laughs> Holy shit. They're always open. It's a lot of They're hours. Fucking Kiefer Sutherland in this shit. <laughs> Holy fuck. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I forgot to totally brainstorm this, but the, there are some ufo cases that i think well like the villas boa stuff like that's a pot like an opportunity to talk about boners yeah it is an opportunity <laughs> to talk about boner. david huggins he would be perfect oh, yeah. oh, oh, God, yeah. oh fuck yeah 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 david huggins would be perfect for that because you're getting david huggins like realist like down to earth and you i don't know who you could like put up against him like i i really don't spencer you'd have to do it because the man's too too nice. Like <laughs> he's I, a real I, sweetheart. I, he he's, is. He started selling aliens in jars on eBay, though. I think it's it's tough times for for the hugster. Yeah, yeah. That's the uh, oh man. The paintings aren't moving like they used to. The paintings aren't moving like they used to. That that documentary was his one shot, and it's not coming back. I mean, I mean, they covered the Men in Black. Uh, on there i think i think a maury island segment i would totally be down with that would be cool and even like a kenneth arnold segment if they kind of tied the two together because you can kind of do that because they're around the same time yeah the cisco grove encounter because it's just so weird this this hunter who gets separated from his uh hunting partner and he happens to encounter these couple of aliens and he just runs up a tree to to save himself, and some mechanized freaking robot comes and tries to get him out of the tree. That's a crazy account. That's a fun one. I've never um, heard of that one, but that sounds dude, lit. D- dude. You gotta there's a there's a great book. It's called Aliens in the Forest. You gotta check that out. It's oh, an incredible uh, title. Uh, I'm in already. Yeah, you're the, on it. The Zanfretta case. Yeah. Oh, 100 percent. The f- Pierre Fortunato's Amfreda case because they just don't leave him alone. They don't leave him alone. They abduct this guy over and over again, and they're basically trying to find a, a new home, a new planet. And the, these aliens are so fun too because they're like what, like eleven feet tall, and they kind of look like reptilian almost, but not like the reptilian David Icke bullshit. Um, How they, dare you, sir? Listen. I, I, no, you, you want to know why I, I have a a life over on the what if podcast as sounders because of David Icke. So (laughs) there, fair enough. Yeah. I I think those are good. Uh, There'd probably be more if I could freaking you know, brainstorm a a few things. The Stephenville, um, case would probably be an interesting one. Even the, the, the O'Hare incident would be a fascinating one. I'm down with that. That'd be a good unsolved mystery segment. Hell yeah. <laughs> well, you know, unfortunately, they've already done Gulf Breeze, right? So, oh, and then you know what? I did Gulf Breeze better, so fuck them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I think we did unsolved mysteries justice here. We did her. And yeah, we we fucking did her. So. Starting with Spencer, where can where can we find more information about you and what you do and all that good stuff? Plug your shit. 
Sure. Uh, I host the What If Podcast. You can find us uh, on wherever you listen to pods or whatifpodcast.com. Um, I also make music as Big Cats, uh, and you can find that wherever you listen to music. Spotify, Apple Music, all that good stuff. And and also a big congratulations to your co-host who just got married. Hell yeah. Brian, take it away. No. You son of a yes. bitch. Uh, uh, <laughs> I co-host the Double Density Podcast with my co-host Angelo uh, every uh, second Wednesday these days because we are both individually and collectively like very busy. Uh, we used to do weekly. Uh, you can find us over on DoubleDensity.net as well as your favorite uh, podcasting platform of choice. Uh, also on Twitter, uh, you can find me at Brian Hasty, double underscore density, et cetera, et cetera. All that, all that good stuff. Uh, Brian hitting you with like not only uh, weird, crazy shit, but he's got great music racks, folks. So, and I mean, you're talking about great music racks. You got one person over here making music. I, I mean, I listen to his. I listen to some of the shit you've done, Spencer, every day. So Thanks, hell yeah, hell yeah, man, hell yeah. So. uh Thanks for tuning in, folks, and, uh, well, don't forget to look up, because you never know what you'll find in our strange skies, or on your TV screen watching Unsolved Mysteries. In Grey We Trust. Shortly after our recording session, we attempted to reach out to the Stack Estate for comment on whether they thought Stack was a reanimated corpse or a ghost. Unfortunately, a Google search failed to locate the Stack Estate, so this mystery remains unsolved. Duvid Media